Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of Students for a Better Future Radio. I'm your host, Doreen Finkel, along with Ruben Torres, and we are live all over the world. Once again, hello, everybody, and welcome to tonight's edition of Students for a Better Future Radio, which is hosted by the 501c3 nonprofit, studentsforabetterfuture.com, which is a center-right group actively philanthropizing on college campuses uh, all over the country. And um, we are actively uh, talking about uh, limited government, constitution, and free enterprise to students all over campuses all over the country. And um, folks, uh, I want you to go visit the website. It is studentsforabetterfuture.com. And um, please make a contribution as your uh, donations are tax deductible. And um, we are actively going to be uh, doing a, a very, very creative radio series, which involves human trafficking and um, whole bunch of different topics, and we talk about this stuff uh, to college kids, and um, it's a wonderful program that we have. And if you can go to the website, again, it is studentsforabetterfuture.com. That's studentsforabetterfuture.com. And um, tonight, folks, we are going to be talking about post-traumatic stress syndrome. It is a very hot and heavy topic, and um, we have a, a guest coming up. Her name is Bridget Cronin. She is the CEO of Ayers Bellum Foundation, and she's going to be discussing a program um, that involves the use of art and uh, how it helps people with this disorder overcome it. And um, Ruben, are you on the line? I'm here. Welcome, um, <laughs> our beloved audience. We are here to have and enjoy an hour of great information that will be very valuable to all of our guests, uh, all of our audiences, all over our country, and, and all of our folks, great countries. I want you to know, I want you to know that as your host, I don't read from a teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So uh, I have to get this off uh, kind of rather quickly. And, um, you know, sometimes when you have a busy day, it doesn't always come off in, in the right manner, but I guess that's with is building this radio show, uh, we have a lot of listeners. And uh, so far, I believe our listening base um, through the uh, iTunes and, and the um, CDs and all that, I think we totaled beyond 60,000. So we're out there. Um, and Ruben actually used to host his own show before this one, right, Ruben? Correct, correct. I uh, had a, a political, very political international uh, program regarding uh, every aspect of uh, our society and, and, and what, what is important for the current situation in, 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 in the world. And um, it was an enjoyable, but I'm glad to join you, Doreen, because I think we we're, we are on a mission. Yes, and that is to bring back this country from right. the, uh, uh, the, the dwells of the evil. And um, folks, tonight... Um, post-traumatic stress, uh, in case you don't know what it is, um, the article in Wikipedia says that um, uh, a post-traumatic stress may develop after a person is developed through one or more traumatic events, such as sexual assault, warfare, serious injury, or threats from imminent death. A diagnosis may be given when a group of symptoms, such as a disturbing recurring flashbacks, avoidance or numbing of memories of the event, and hyperarousal continue for more than a month after the occurrence of the traumatic event. And uh, we're going to be learning uh, what the signs and symptoms of this disorder are and how we can go about treating it. And uh, I believe we do have some vets who are going to be joining us. Um, So, Bridget, are you there? 
I am here. Welcome to the show, Bridget. Thank you for having me. I really um, appreciate it. And can you tell us, can you give us a little background about yourself? Sure. My background uh, spans about 25 years in business and nonprofit and political campaigns. And I've done everything from fundraising to organizational management to sales and marketing. So I have a pretty broad background. Wow. And Bridget is the CEO of uh, ARS Bellum Foundation. Is it pronounced Ars Bellum Foundation or just say ARS? Nope, it's Ars Bellum, and that is Latin for Arts of War. Oh, okay. Um, and can you give us a little bit background about this particular group? Sure. Um, about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, a couple of friends of mine who are stationed over in Germany, one who is an active service member, he's a um, sergeant in the Rakasan unit over in Germany, and a friend of his who is a retired Army uh, infantry member and now trains NATO troops in Socor, came to me and said that they wanted to start an organization that would help veterans with PTSD and related mental health conditions as a result of service-related trauma. And they didn't know how to do it because they were in Germany and they wanted to be able to do it here. And they knew that I had background in getting nonprofits started and doing startup companies. So they asked me if I would help them. So I said yes. And we went okay. through a few months of we went through a few months of paperwork and you know getting all that kind of stuff done. And then we turned to um, a school here in Minnesota called the Adler Graduate School of Psychology because they are one of only 24 schools in the country that has a graduate program in art therapy, which is an actual thing. When I first started this project, I didn't know it was an actual thing, but it is. And mental health professionals work with art with their patients in order to help them process trauma and get through some of the emotions that they're dealing with in a way that doesn't require them to talk about it because it's really hard for some people who have been through a very traumatic experience to verbalize it just because of the way it gets processed. So we spent about eight months working with Adler Graduate School. Uh, We got a grant from Up for the Troops, and we got some private donations, and we put together this program, and now we are in the process of rolling it out to the Minnesota National Guard, which is the fifth largest guard in the nation, along with the VA centers around the Twin Cities and in Duluth. Oh, okay. Um, And so you picked post-traumatic stress. And um, can you tell us what that is or what characteristics you have to look out for? Well, we look at, obviously, our specific population is veterans. And so we look for things... And it's, it's, I mean, there are some commonalities among anyone who's gone through a traumatic experience, but there are some very specific things that go on with soldiers and um, members of the Navy and other service members who have gone through combat or gone through other traumatic events as a result of deployment. And so we look for some of those things. A lot of it is hypervigilance, anxiety, insomnia, nightmares, depression, social isolation, emotional numbness, Um, but then we go a step further and we look at the families and we help the families too, which is, I think, the only program in the country that does this. Right. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article here and it says PTSD is believed to be caused by the experience of a wide range of traumatic events, in particular if the trauma is, is extreme and can occur in persons with no predisposing conditions, but people who are at risk are combat military personnel, victims of natural disasters, concentration camp survivors, and victims of violent crimes. And individuals frequently frequently experience survivor's guilt for remaining alive while others have died. And Mm -hmm. uh, the causes of PTSD are experiencing or witnessing of a stressor event involving death, serious injury, or the threat to the self or others in a situation in which the individual felt intense fear, horror, or powerless. Um, And, you know, and persons employed in occupations that expose them to violence, such as soldiers or disasters, emergency service workers, 
those people are also at risk. Um, but and you cater mostly to vets. Um, we do. So yeah. Um, so you had mentioned um, that uh, you know you work the therapy through art classes, correct? Yes. What we do um, is can you, go ahead. Okay. Um, the art process, the process of making art, and, it, and when I say art, doesn't even matter what the quality is. We're not looking for artists. What we're looking for is for people to be able to express whatever is either on their mind, whatever's bothering them, what their memories are, their experiences through a project. It might be a clay project, it might be sculpture, it might be paint, might be collage. There's all different kinds of media that we use. But the point is that we lead our participants through an eight-week program, and each week we have a theme that's designed to build on the weeks before that helps them get to a point where they can process the trauma that they experienced during their deployments, reintegrate that, reprocess it in a way that helps them come to peace with it because you don't get over it. You live through it. So if they can come to peace with it, then that can help them re-identify as civilians because the biggest problem we have, at least here in Minnesota, and I think elsewhere, is that National Guard units have been deployed so much and they were relied on so heavily in Iraq and Afghanistan that um, right. where they come back and they don't know how to switch from soldier to civilian. And that's true with that's true with the regular branches of the military as well. I mean, I have you know friends who are in the army, friends who are Marines, friends who are in the Navy, and you know they go over there and it's so intense. And the warfare is very different than it used to be. You know, those of us who look at documentaries of World War II really are not prepared for the kind of warfare we deal with now. And so then they come home and they don't know how to switch out of that soldier identity and get back into a civilian life. And how do they put those kinds of things to bed? So that's one of the things that we help them with. Uh, But do they ever really put those experiences to bed or do they um, just move on? I guess is the best. Well, I think I think it varies from individual to individual, but the idea of helping them learn these skills and learn these coping mechanisms is to help them at least not be captive to their symptoms. So those who experience anxiety or experience social isolation or experience emotional numbing, okay, or nightmares, the idea is these things are going to happen at some point in your life because different triggers will come up at different points. And the real goal is to learn how to manage them, how to recognize them, how to move through it in a way that is as healthy as you can get and still be able to live your life on a daily basis in a good way. Um, Yeah. Go ahead, Ruben. If I may interject, um, Bridget, what has the the impact, the service that the VA, I'm going to get a little political here, as I always do, uh, the VA in this current administration, how has that service not given to veterans that they, they, they deserve, how has that hampered the, the returning veterans with their P, uh, PTSD? Um, well, I'll, I'll look at it, but I'll tell you from my perspective. Okay. My perspective is that um, we have a whole lot of veterans coming back from these deployments, a lot more than we would have expected to have PTSD and related symptoms, not just PTSD because that's actually a very high-level diagnosis. But we have veterans who have anxiety, depression, you know, other kinds of things as well. And I think that the sheer number of them simply swamped the capabilities of the existing VA facilities. Right. I, I don't think that's a secret, and I don't think that they would say anything different. Um, and I know here in Minneapolis, our VA has worked with us as an organization um, right. and is willing to partner with us and work with us to facilitate more veterans getting help. They want solutions. 
our, our Minnesota right. National Guard leadership has been exceptionally helpful. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've experienced, you know, probably the better end of the deal. Um, I'm not going to say that the VA has hampered people. I think the VA got swamped. I don't think they expected the level of, of conditions that were going to come back. Right. right. No, and, and I, I can understand that, but I think I think uh, it's a disservice to our veterans who are coming back not to be prepared. Uh, I, I, I agree I, with I, you, I, and I think you know now we're we're what 14 years into this, 13 years mm-hmm. into this. Right. Um, and one of the things that I've been discussing, not only with our program development partners, but also with the VA and some of our other partners, is that we owe our veterans the Correct. best care we can give them when they come back. If we're going to send these boys and girls into harm's way and we're going to send them into really bad battle deployments, then we need to be able to take care of them when they come back. And I, so if we don't I, have the capacity to do it now, we have to figure out how to increase the capacity so we can. Yeah, I, I would I would, I would, would agree. Yeah. I, I would say that, that they should even even invest more in organizations like yourself or like your organization and more organizations that are willing to 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 have an input and be able to pitch in and do a, a job that they they may not they may be overwhelmed by the, num- the the sheer number of individuals that are coming back, but there's no excuse at at this point not to be able to service them. Well, and it, you know, yeah. from my standpoint, what I can tell you in Minnesota is that we have a culture that is highly predisposed to supporting mental health therapies. Uh, we have a very large National Guard with a lot of deployments. Um, and we have a VA that, a VA and National Guard leadership that wants to help its veterans. And so we've decided to step up to the plate and work with them and be partners and solve the problem. Right, right. I, yeah. I, I have another um, question. Do, I have, I have, another, go ahead, I have another question. Uh, is, is, is it have you have you from based on your experience working with veterans, is it a taboo for a veteran not to disclose their own PTSD or of their brothers and sisters? You know, they, you know that's to... that's an interesting question you bring up because there's a bit of a divide. There are some who want to have a PTSD diagnosis because it gives it gives them access to a certain level of services they might not have otherwise. So there's that piece. However, there are also a lot, probably more than half, who don't want the diagnosis because they're afraid of the negative impact it will have on their military career or any other private sector career they may choose after they're done. So we work with both. Yeah. Um, There's a a caller on the line, 480-634. Do you want to ask a question? Yeah. Hey, hey guys. How are you doing? Go ahead. How are you? This is David. Welcome, David. Go ahead. Hello. Uh, okay. Okay, we lost him. Um, uh, okay, so let's go back to uh, you had mentioned the um, uh, the art therapy courses that you do. Yes. Um, and uh, can you uh, talk about like each one, like perhaps the art mentorship? Like what kind of... Like I said, it's it's an eight-week course, and it depends... Okay. Each eight weeks depends a little bit on the art therapist who is leading it. So the medium might be different depending on who is leading it and the kind of group they end up with. We try to stick between four and eight vets per group. Um, Once in a while, we get a couple more, but we really cap it at 10, uh, because otherwise there's just not enough individual attention that the therapist can give. And these therapists are mental health practitioners. They are licensed counselors. So this isn't just, you know, an artist off the street who is giving lessons in art. That's not what it's about. What it's about is providing a method for these veterans to express their experiences and their emotions in a way that is not threatening, not invasive, and kind of occupies their whole brain and body because it's much more relaxing. So that helps reduce the anxiety. And then once they get uh, their feelings and experiences out, out of their head and into the art medium, whatever the product is, then it's easier to 
start talking about it because it's out there. It's not in their heads anymore. And it becomes easier to talk about, which then allows them to start processing the situation, processing what they think, and then thinking about things in a different way. Right. And so do you apply the same to the other courses? Because I noticed on uh, your website you had writing mentorship, beyond the Mm -hmm. battlefield art exhibition. Um, You had those courses too. The writing mentorship is for people who are verbal, people who want to write. We actually have an author based out of Chicago named Dan O'Shea who has assembled a group of about 15 authors around the country. These are all published authors, and they all have done novels, um, who are willing to mentor vets who want to write about their experiences, whether it's a short story or a novel or an essay um, these, this group of authors stands at the ready to help mentor these guys and women. Um, the other thing that we do is the Beyond the Battlefield Art Exhibition, which is a collection of art created by veterans that we use to educate the public about the challenges that our vets face when they come back home. Um, so now supposing, um, you know, I'm going to give you a hypothetical. I'm a vet, Okay. And uh, I come out of any any war, okay. And I'm diagnosed with this uh, with post traumatic stress, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I assume my therapist um, recommends your group, or do, are you working with uh, people in the psychology field on this? We're, or, yep, we um, work with psychologists. We work with psychologists. We work with caseworkers. Um, we also work with, here in Minnesota, it's called the R3SP program, which is the Reintegration, Risk Reduction, and Suicide Prevention Program. So we okay, work with all those so, Okay, so then they and would... And the sexual trauma unit. Then they would recommend me to you, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and then what would you do from there? We have our own assessments that we use. We have our own intake forms. We don't share those with anybody unless it's required by your CO if you're on on an improvement program, um, which is something that our National Guard here in Minnesota does. But otherwise, we don't share anything with anybody. It's all private. It's confidential. And then you go through the program, the eight weeks, and then at the end, we have an evaluation that lets you determine how effective the program was for you and then we figure out an aftercare plan. Uh, okay, so then, go ahead, Ruben. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Bridget, what, since you have, uh, you, you work with the VA on, on an extensive, uh, you've been working with uh, the VA for an extensive amount of time, correct? Not, not an extensive amount of time. <laughs> this, is, oh. this is new. This is, in Minnesota, um, okay. art therapy is, uh, is kind of groundbreaking. The model was invented, or well, I shouldn't say invented, but it was introduced at Walter Reed Medical Center, okay? Right. And then it was rolled out to 15 VA. Oh, okay. But Minnesota wasn't one of them. And so when we looked at what we could do here in Minnesota and then what we could roll out to other parts of the country to help augment what was going on with the VAs, we okay. looked first to Walter Reed, and then we partnered with Adler Graduate School to figure out a program that would work for us. Okay, because my question, my question is, why has the VA, why does the VA take a long time to connect and respond claims of a lot of the uh, PTSD uh, veterans? It, it, You're asking me about uh, a government agency? <laughs> well, no, no. I'm not, I'm not trying to be difficult. But <laughs> right, no, no. The right. reason, the reason I'm asking is because they have, they have, they have a history. They have a, a history of uh, of denying and underrating PTSD services for veterans. Based on the experience that you've been working with them, has that improved? I be, well, based on the spirit in which we've worked with the Minneapolis VA, yes, it has. Um, but there's. Another thing to consider, which is the fact that post-traumatic stress disorder as a diagnosed disorder has to meet 16 different levels of criteria because it is considered a very severe disorder in and of itself. 
that doesn't mean okay that right that doesn't mean that if you have anxiety or you have nightmares or you have flashbacks or you don't want to be out in public you don't want to be in crowds you look under a bridge every time you go under one you know those kinds of things those are considered subclinical symptoms and they're real and they should be treated but they don't rise to the level of PTSD and so one of the reasons that we exist and one of the reasons we work is because we can reach all those vets that don't have a diagnosis but still need the help. Oh. Right. But, um, but, there, but are, there are callers on the line. Okay. Um, go, go and, folks, uh, I just want to tell you to call in 646-915-8117. That's the call-in number. Again, that's 646-915-8117. Um, anybody like want to ask a question? Don't be shy. Do see callers on the line here. We have um, a great guest okay. on, on the line, Bridget. Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Ruben. That's your well, uh, I, in regards to uh, you mentioned there's 16 tests to actually determine and and uh, that the person is qualified, the veteran is qualified for PTSD treatment. Uh, what are the screening tests? There's a screening test that the VA has developed based on the DSM-4. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I'm actually in the DSM-5 right now. Um, and the diagnostic criteria for the manuals uh, for uh, in the DSM-5 says that the individual uh, directly experiences the traumatic event witnesses the traumatic event in person, learns that the traumatic event occurred to a close family member or close friend, and um, experienced firsthand repeated or extreme exposure to a verse of details of the traumatic event, not through media, pictures, television, movies, or, or whatnot. And the disturbance, regardless of its trigger, causes clinically significant distress or impairment in the individual's social interactions, capacity to work, or other important areas of functioning. Um, and it's not a result of any other medical condition, medicine, or, or drugs or alcohol. So, um, yes, uh, they do have a, a level. Uh, uh, there's various degrees uh, of this. Um, well, and bear, and bear in mind, too, that when the, VA's, when the VA does its diagnostic assessment, it's also looking at um, a disability rating. Okay, so that's one of the reasons that okay. the VA checklist is a little bit different than the DSM because they're also looking at, is this veteran able to work, able to live on their own, able to function? And there's a, there's a rating system. And this, this isn't just the case with, with PTSD. This is the case of every medical claim, whether it's, you know, someone who's an amputee, someone who's suffered traumatic brain injury. There's all different kinds of things that people have the ability to get disability for lack of a better phrase. And so that's why the 16-point yeah. checklist is so important to the VA. So now, Bridget, do a lot of these vets have, um, uh, I guess what you call comorbid? Uh, is there several diagnoses sometimes? Sometimes, sure. Yeah, sometimes there is. Um, you know, along with the PTSD, um, because anxiety kind of reaches across uh, a broad spectrum here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can anxiety, get anxiety for, for anything. Yeah, anxiety is a major feature. Depression is a major feature. Um, social isolation and numbness is a major feature. Um, How about insomnia anger? And nightmares. How insomnia about anger? and nightmares are a major feature. Yep, anger and uh, or mood swings, extreme mood How swings. About how about impulsive control? Yep. Impulsive. Those are all features. Okay. Oh, wow. So this that's, sounds and that's, quite why, interesting. that's why it takes so much to diagnose an actual PTSD diagnosis. A lot of veterans will come back with anxiety or depression or, mm -hmm. you know, insomnia or some combination of those, but they don't reach all 16 points to get to the PTSD level. But that doesn't mean they don't need help. That doesn't mean they don't deserve to be taken care of right. and get the assistance that they need to be able to 
process all of this and transition back into civilian life. And that's where groups like ours become a nice little safety net, for lack of a better word, because they're not going to get what they need at the VA because they don't rise to that level, but they still need help. So we can help. We're blessed. We're blessed uh, to have an organization like like yours and and you as a CEO uh, leading that organization. We're blessed. It's the least I can do. Thank you for your service. Uh, I I do have uh, I do have uh, uh, a question that that uh, maybe um, I just thought about it. Have have has there been any studies done comparing the U.S. how they handle PTSD veterans compared to other nations. Uh, there are yes. yeah. There are some studies available, and I can tell you just anecdotally, without being able to refer to any by chapter and verse, right. that as as poorly as we think we handle it, we're the best among the NATO countries. Okay. Wow. When I talk to so, counterparts. Yeah. When I talk to counterparts in Germany and the Great and Great Britain and France um, and other places that are part of the NATO alliance, they don't have anything, nothing, like what we're doing. Wow! And how about, That's how very about interesting. To, to ask you uh, to add to that question, how much more money? How much money are we spending today on our veterans compared to the other nations, uh, NATO nations? That I don't know. That open. No, I don't know. Yeah. That. Um, and also, uh, Bridget, do you have the figures of, um, you know, like approximate how many vets are diagnosed with PTSD or how many people in general? Well, I don't know maybe? about people in general, but I can tell you that nationwide we have about 460,000 vets diagnosed with PTSD. And the reason that we need to pay attention to that number is because only about half, and this is an estimate, but only about half of the vets who exhibit symptoms of PTSD ever actually go for help. So if we've got 460,000 that are diagnosed, we probably have upwards of a million that are suffering effects. Now, do some of these vets realize that they have PTSD or they just don't realize it? Um, you know, a lot of them, well, a lot of them, I mean, they know, maybe? yeah, they know something's wrong, but they're not sure how to get a handle on it, or they're afraid to go ask for help because they don't want a label, they don't want it in their file, um, so there's a lot of, so it has a, a it lot has of man-up culture. Yeah, it has a negative mm-hmm. stigma. Because oh, very much it's so. in the mental health field, and it's the idea that you um, are seeing a uh, you have to go to a psychiatrist or psychologist or the mental health people, and and they're afraid of the stigma that it puts upon them. Right. Absolutely. Um, wow. But and this is another reason that we try to keep as much as we can confidential. We don't turn over records to, you know, government or the VA or whomever unless it's part of their documentation process to show improvement to be able to keep their jobs. You know, we have we have a certain set of processes that we work with with the Minnesota National Guard, for instance, so that they can prove that they are getting help because that's a positive. Right. But should, shouldn't it be, yeah, shouldn't it be that um, in our society, you know, that, um, you know, um, not to say that it's accepted, but that um, it should not have the stigma because it's, it's you know because it's a person's ability to be human. Have you seen the movie issues, American Sniper? It came from a war. You know, you know what I'm saying by that. Have you Have you seen the movie you American know? Sniper? Yes, I have. It was a very good movie. Okay. And, have and, you seen the movie you know, Lone Survivor? Yes, I've seen that one too. Okay, I would think um, that if we are going to send our men and women into battle situations like that, right. not only should it not be a stigma that they come home having been affected by it, we should expect it. We're asking right. them to that's do inhuman things. Right. We are we're asking them to do and suffer things that are contrary to their conscience. 
Right. And right. So, so if, we're, if, we're, if we are going to send our men and women into harm's way like that and ask them to go through those kinds of things, then we need to be prepared and willing and grateful mm-hmm. to help them when right. they come back. Definitely. Definitely, and I think I think a lot of has yeah, to do with. Uh, thank you, Doreen. I think a lot has to do with the way the media portrays our our veterans. Those are our our heroes. Those are the ones who are actually out there, you know, risking their lives to protect us. And and and, and the media does not appreciate that, and in turn, that turns. The, the society, the people that are have not really done the research on how much of a, of a very, very, you know, uh, you have to have that special, you have to be a special person to, to go out there and sacrifice your life for others. And, and I totally agree with you that they deserve the best, res- we need to provide them with the best resources for them to be able right. to come back but, and enjoy. But, yes. And, and also I think we need to um, we need to get after the media on that, you know, because, again, it's like the media is making the uh, the victims, you know, they're, they're in, into the, uh, the bad guy again, you know, and, and we well, need to work on the media in that respect. There's a lot of media yeah, distortion all the way around. But my bigger concern is their own communities. How are our veterans received in our own communities? And and I'll give you my own experience. I've been working with this particular organization for a year, okay? And I worked really hard to try to learn as much as I possibly could about what our OEF, OIF veterans went through and are going through during their deployments. So I looked at footage. And I listened to interviews, and I read stories, and I watched movies, and I did everything I could to listen and learn and try to understand. But I had an experience about three weeks ago that trumped everything, and there was nothing that could prepare me for it. I was at a VFW one night presenting our program, and this happened to be a VFW that has a lot of OEF, OIF veterans as members. So they were there that night. And... They understood exactly what I was saying when I started talking about the symptoms of PTSD. There were tears in the audience as we were talking back and forth. And then they asked me to stay afterwards and talk to them. And so I ended up spending the evening, which was a few hours, surrounded by about a dozen of these veterans. These are the baddest asses of America, okay? These are the guys that have gone in, kicked down doors, gone down mountains, everything else. And they sat and they yeah. told me their stories. And after a while, there wasn't anything I could say that didn't sound trite or stupid in the face of the things that they had gone through for real. And it's a whole different thing to... It's one thing to watch a movie or read an article or listen to an interview. It's a whole different thing to sit across a table from one of these soldiers and look in their eyes while they tell you their stories about their friends who were blown up by IEDs or the little girl in the middle of the road that they had to decide whether or not to run over because of the rules of engagement and the danger to their brothers. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. And our the civilians wow. in our community really need to stop and listen and pay attention because that's the only way we're going to start to understand what they're going through and then begin to be able to help them. Yeah. Um, yeah before we move on, Ruben, uh, I just want to um, welcome uh, our guest from Michigan and uh, our guest from Ohio. Thank you for listening. I know you're listening. To, uh, so uh, go ahead, Ruben. Oh, that that was that just broke my heart. I mean, what you just said, uh, and, and, and I, I, I love my veterans. I mean, uh, I'm very, very, uh, you know, very sad that that we have communities that do not appreciate our veterans. I mean, that that's 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 a tragedy, and that's, a, that's the reason there's been a decline in our country, because you need to appreciate the people who are protecting you. 
and who are risking their lives to protect you and, and from from evil. Um, I, I did want to ask you in regards to uh, is there a correlation between PTSD and veterans coming back and going into addiction, uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction? I mean, is there has there been studies done with with the VA or any other organization or your organization that that correlate the two you, together? You're asking me that. I'm at, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, there are a ton um, put together by lots of different organizations, and the correlation between alcoholism and substance abuse and PTSD is huge, huge. Okay. Because especially among veterans who either won't go for help or if they do go for help and they don't get adequate help, that's even worse. Okay. So they do what they're told to do by their VA or their counselor or whoever tells them, and then it doesn't work for them, and then they become even more despondent because they believe the fault lies with them. And so in order to numb the pain, in order to try to cope and get through the day or sleep at night, yes, they drink too much. Yes, they mm-hmm. take drugs. Yes, they do all kinds of self-destructive things. And so that, leads to, that leads to unemployment. It leads to broken relationships. It leads to domestic violence. It leads to homelessness. It leads to suicide. Those are the things we're really trying to stop. Right. Uh, um, so now uh, I, I just want to ask you, Bridget, um, you know, because you guys said you've been doing this for quite a number of years, like how many? Fifteen so far, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see the group, uh, let's say, in about ten years from now? Where do I see this group? I would love yes. to see it nationwide. I would love to see because we've we've we're working hard to reach vets now, but we're also working hard to increase the number of therapists and therapies that are available by working with our partners, our development partners. And what I would really like to see is for not only ours Bellum to be in every state in the country, but for there be for there to be an adequate number of therapists for all of the people who need them. That's really the bottom line. Here in Minnesota, for example, we have over 70,000 vets that are diagnosed with PTSD as an, as an estimate. Wow. And that doesn't, count, that doesn't count all the ones who have features of but aren't diagnosed with it. So they have anxiety, they have depression, they have these other kinds of features, but it's not at the level of PTSD, right? We have 60 art therapists in the state. 60. Wow. That's a thousand vets for every art therapist. So we've got a ways to go. And I think as a system, a healthcare system as a whole, we have a long ways to go before we can even come close to meeting the demand. It's going to be a five to 10 year process at least. What's the, um, Bridget, what, what is the impact of Obamacare? On on uh, your line of business and, and the VA uh, in regards to providing good services, because as we have we have discovered, Obamacare tends to diminish and reduce quality service. Well, um, if you're looking at if you're looking at vets who are part of the VA system already, I'm not sure that it has a whole lot of impact. If you're looking at vets, though, who have different kinds of insurances, and this affects probably National Guard and Reserve members more than regular branches of military, um, I could see it causing a problem. I have mm-hmm. a, a 19-year-old son with autism who is disabled, and we're going through the tortures of a dance with this. <laughs> so don't even get me started on that for the people who need it the most. But um, as far as as far as... And for us, it doesn't matter because we're a nonprofit. We work with private donations and grants, so we're not worried about right. insurance. So whoever walks through right. our door, I don't care if you have insurance or not. I don't care if you have a diagnosis or not. If you have symptoms that need to be dealt with, we're here to help you. Good, good. And, and, and right now you're based only in Minnesota, but you're planning to expand. There's, you see an expansion 
of your business, your nonprofit organization, to go nationwide? Eventually, I would like to see that or at least see us collaborate with others in other states to be able to provide the same kind of services. What we're focused on right now is a rollout with the Minnesota National Guard that will take us statewide. We have several sites already where we provide services and will be providing services. And so probably the rest of this year is going to be Minnesota. And then next year we'll start looking at who who else can use us. Where's where's the music later? Well, I, I can tell you that um, I can tell you that, that if you're if you're if you you mentioned there's a lack of therapists, there's a lack uh there there's highly quality um qualified therapists that that I know. You know, and is there can they go to your website? Can you give us your website and, and so they any potential anyone who's interested in working and cooperating or, or joining your forces can can go and see? Absolutely. Our website is www.arsbellumfdn.com. So arsbellumfoundation.com. And actually, if you just Google it, we're, we're the first thing that comes up. So if you just Google Ars Bellum, A-R-S-B-E-L-L-U-M, we'll come up. And there's a ton of information on the website. You okay. can look for uh, the different programs that we have, and you can sign up. We're actually in the middle of a fundraising drive because we always want to make sure that we can keep these services free for veterans and their families. Um, right. And so it takes it takes $25 to sponsor a soldier, it takes uh, a couple hundred dollars to sponsor a program. Um, it's very affordable, which is the other plus compared to other kinds of therapies out there, compared to drug therapy, talk therapy, inpatient therapy. Those are all in the tens of thousands of dollars. You know, we're talking about something that is very cost-effective. It's portable. The veteran can take with them. They can continue it if they want. And it's very effective. Right. And, uh, Bridget, I just want to ask you... Um, because we only have a couple minutes left, um, how do you measure the success of your program? We have, um, like I mentioned before, we have intake forms with assessments. Okay. That okay. that measure mm-hmm, that measure uh, a veteran's symptoms, severity, frequency, that kind of thing. And then at the end of the program, we do a similar assessment to see what's gotten better, what's improved. You know, are you having fewer nightmares? Do you have fewer anxiety attacks? When you have an anxiety attack, are you able to control it better? All of those kinds of questions. Um, and so you mentioned anxiety attacks. Does that include like the the panic attacks too, as well? Or yes. Um, so then, l- let's say uh, let's say the that does not reach a certain level. Um, then what do you use to? Well, it's not about whether it reaches a certain level, but if, for example, let's just say when uh, when a veteran does the intake form, if they if they say I have three anxiety attacks a week on average, okay, and those anxiety attacks are severe enough that I can't leave the house, okay, that tells me a level of severity and frequency. And then by the end okay. of the program, by the end of the program, they say, you know what, I'm only having one, maybe two once in a while, a week. And when they happen, I can take a breath, I've learned these coping skills, I know how to work myself through it, and I can leave the house. To me, that's a big improvement after just eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. But that's oh, those wow. are the kinds of comparisons that we make. Bridget. And um, when you, I'm sorry. What what has the uh, how much of an impact does a family have in regards to uh, benefiting PTSD veterans? Uh, have well, you, from family, your experience, from your experience, do you see that more families are becoming more understanding of PTSD or becoming less? interested and in, 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 in disengaging from 
actually working with their uh, with their relatives or family relatives no, I, that are helping. I would say more. I would say they're becoming not only more, they're more educated, so they're more willing to work with them, and they're more interested in salvaging the relationship and making it healthy. We work on a couple of bases. One is getting the families to connect with the veteran and vice versa so that they can reconnect. The other part of it, though, is to help the family members, especially the children, work through the secondary trauma that happens when their service member is deployed. And again, in Minnesota, because we have such a large National Guard contingent, we have a lot of this, where, um, you know, mom or dad will leave for three months or six months or nine months or however long your deployment ends up being, and the rest of the household has to learn to operate without them. And the kids, no matter how much they miss them, have to live without them. And that creates a whole lot of abandonment, a whole lot of all kinds of issues. So then the service member comes back, and they have to figure out how to fit back into the family. The kids have to figure out how to process. I mean, they're glad to have them back, no doubt. But they have to figure out how to process all of the scary feelings and bad feelings that they dealt with while they were gone. So art therapy is actually a really natural way, especially for children, to be able to process some of that, and it helps them understand each other better, and then they can talk about it better and help them reconnect better. And um, let me ask you, how young is, let's say, your youngest vet that you know? I'm, I'm so sorry. Far? I Doreen, I couldn't understand how young, how young is the youngest uh, vet that you have there so far? Youngest veteran? Um, yeah, I haven't, yes, I haven't judged exact age, but they're uh, uh, the okay. youngest ones are in their their early thirties that that I know of so wow. far. Wow! And and uh, but we've got some. Do they have family? We have some Vietnam era vets too. Um. Well, and and the young ones, they have families or. Sure, some of them do. Yeah. Um, have you been able to get onto the college campuses out there? Get into what? Did you mention your program? or um, we've been, Are you hello? asking if we've been in the media? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Yep, we've, we've been, we've had some, some stories on television and radio and newspaper. The nice thing about Minnesota is that we're very, um, we're very supportive of mental health issues in general. We're actually very supportive of the arts in general, and we're very supportive of our military in general. So it's kind of a nice little intersection <laughs> to be able to get this started. It's it's worked it's working out pretty well. Um, pretty oh. good. Go ahead, Ruben. Uh, thank you, Doreen. Um, how supportive? You mentioned about Minnesota being very supportive about the arts and the veteran and our veterans. How about how about our legislators in Minnesota? Well, the ones you know, how the about ones that from, I have from, been from talking to down? are very supportive. Okay. Yeah, the ones. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a mixed bag, obviously, but um, I haven't met anyone who's not supportive. Let's put it that way. Okay. Because I, yeah, I, 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 I get yeah. I, sometimes I get a feeling. I, sometimes I get a feeling that they're very supportive on one side in front of the media, but then behind, they're not supporting our, our veterans in what they're supposed to be supporting with resources. Because if anyone's going to get any resources, it should be the, our veterans, not other individuals out there without mentioning their names or their organizations. Uh, so that that bothers me because I hear we are very pro-veterans and, and, uh, and I don't see that at the end, you know, it's a lot of talk. So that's the reason I'm, 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 I was I wanted to ask you, in Minnesota, are the legislators, and you're telling me that they're, they've been very supportive, right? Yes. Yes, they have. In fact, I've had several wow. approach me and ask me to present at committee meetings so that we can talk about how we can better fund these programs. Oh, that's good. Then that, that's good. Right, right. Yeah, that is interesting because a few years ago, um, the uh, uh, Obama administration and the defense uh, had cut out the what they call the MREs, 
Those mm-hmm. are the meals that um, mm-hmm. were being uh, supplied overseas. And I don't know, Ruben, did you know that? But that's their, you know, they used to eat a lot of them, and particularly mm-hmm. for breakfast. And mm-hmm. um, over here in Jefferson Township, that's a town located not too far from me, they started doing fundraisers and collecting food for our vets over there. You know, and uh, it, it was it caused quite a stir over here. Um, you know, and the idea is, you know, you want to give those folks a good, you know, if they're fighting for you, you know, you don't want to give them these cheap, cheap meals. You they want you want them to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, and usually. Um, the, the Democrats haven't been too supportive of efforts that way, you know. But uh, again, you know, I don't want to talk about party lines, but it just has been that way. Well, been- fortunately, in Minnesota, we have a really strong, both bipartisan and nonpartisan attitude about supporting our veterans. Right. So I've not run into I've not run into that kind of divide here. Right. Um, go ahead, Ruben. Did you want to say something? Yeah, I did. Um, Richard, in regards to the current condition, uh, current situation with veterans and uh, PTSD, do you see uh, what, what do you see in short in, in short term solutions, and also in long term solutions, how PTSD uh, veterans are going to benefit in the next five to ten years? What, what what new developments are out there that are coming along that are going to benefit PTSD uh, veterans? Well, I think the good news is that there are a number of us, individuals and organizations, that are raising our voices together in support and defense of our veterans. And that is probably the biggest change in the last 10 years. Um, you know, unfortunately our Vietnam veterans came home and a lot of them suffered the same kinds of situations and conditions but didn't have the understanding and education and support that our OEF, OIF veterans do. There's still a long way to go. But I think that because we as organizations and concerned individuals are more connected, more educated, and more able to offer practical services that help, I think that our veterans coming forward will be in a lot better shape five to ten years from now than their Vietnam predecessors were. I wish we could turn the clock back 40 years and fix that, but we can't. What we can do is provide the best care we can going forward and continue to network and build a safety net for these people when they come home that helps them reintegrate back into civilian society more successfully. Go ahead, Ruben. We're running out of time. If you, if you, if anyone out there is interested in setting up a center and working with you, how would they go about doing that? Have them call me at six five one two three one three three six four. Um, and Bridget, I, I'm just totally amazed by you. <laughs> just listening to everything you uh, are doing and and uh, what you're saying, and um, I want to thank you for coming on our show. And Thank you, but don't be amazed uh, by me. Don't be amazed by me. Be amazed by the veterans who served us. This is the least we can okay. do. Okay. And well, uh, the website I, I have is, to... is uh, hold on, Ruben, okay, because we don't have time. Um, uh, go to http www.arsbellumfdn.com. That's www.arsbellumfdn.com. A R S B E L L U M F D N dot com for more information on the Ars Bellum Foundation. And folks, we are out of time. Um, and uh, I want to thank everybody for listening last night. Bridget, it was an honor. uh, Yeah, it was an honor to be able to interview. Keep keep up the great work. Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, have a good night. And and folks, for more information on the show, please go to studentsforabetterfuture.com. That's studentsforabetterfuture.com. And we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you and good night.
Alright. Have a good one.